Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Isaiah again, chapter 53, verses 8 and 9. We've been talking about and sharing the suffering of Jesus for several verses now. I mentioned a week or two ago how someone challenged me in the fourth or fifth message I ever brought on on how we should deeply be always considering the suffering of Jesus. Someone said, well, he suffered for us, uh, so it's all joy now for us. And, And there's some truth in that. But there's also some truth and a help in our walk and a help in our meditation on our Lord that we would remember not only his salvation, but within what he did to provide it, the suffering that he went through. So as we consider the suffering of past verses, as we talk about his trial, his unjust trial tonight, I'm just going to title this, The Greatest Injustice Ever. Isaiah 53 and 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. We have shared how Jesus... It was prophesied here that he would be shunned, that he would be suppressed, that he would be said to be struck by God as if he deserved the suffering he went through when it was really for us and for our sins that he went through the suffering that he went through. He was slighted and he was ignored. He was taken to the slaughter, as it were. And now tonight, we're going to consider the greatest injustice that there ever was. What, what a news line. What a news feed. Uh, main story tonight. The greatest injustice there has ever been. We talk about a lot of injustice today. And people give it a lot of focus and a lot of attention. But what about poor Jesus? And the greatest injustice that has ever taken place. His suffering of injustice we see here in the beginning of this verse. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And and also, as we considered his silence last week, let us be mindful of the fact that his silence continues. It continues through illegal trial, even being condemned to death. He's silent. He doesn't. Rebuke. He doesn't try to get revenge. You take the guilty today. Jesus was innocent. You take the guilty today. The guilty, they know they're guilty. Their attorney knows they're guilty. Yet they're looking for any error in the trial to get the trial kicked out of court that there might be a retrial to take place. Yet Jesus, in his innocence, did not appeal the trial. He did not appeal for another trial, though everything about his was truly illegal. Though Jesus is the judge of all, here we find him being judged and being condemned to death. 
in the most corrupt mockery of a trial that there has ever been. Jesus was arrested unlawfully in the garden. The sentencing against him, it was unjust. There was nothing fair about it. The carrying out of the crucifixion and and the death penalty upon him, it was unjust. It was illegal. It, it, It wasn't to be. He was denied a fair trial, though Judas, his betrayer, proclaimed the innocence of Jesus. His judge, Pilate, also claimed his innocence. Pilate wasn't innocent himself in all of this, but he did voice that, that he was innocent. There has never been a worse case of injustice in the in history ever the violation of proper procedure that came upon Jesus in trial it was numerous and it was just continuous no criminal court case ever took place after sunset yet his went on at night uh, no process of it was, was at night, yet the arrest of Jesus was at night. This was forbidden under the law, yet it happened. There were no formal charges against Jesus at his arrest. And there was to be a charge that coupled with the arrest, but there was none at that time. Those who initiated the charges against Jesus had no authority to do so. The Sanhedrin was to investigate the charges that came to them, but here you have the initiator and the investigator being the same people, the Sanhedrin. It, it, was, it was illegal. It was wrong. There were no witnesses throughout this process. And I can say no witnesses ever at all because the witnesses that they did have, they were false witnesses. And there had to be witnesses for such action to be taken. Yet there were none. They were sentencing him to death with no witnesses. This was illegal. This was was against law and it was against procedure. They were physical with Jesus during his trial. That's against proper procedure. That's against uh, the way things were supposed to go. They all voted at one time to crucify him. That's not the process. That's not how it was to go under law. So that the younger wouldn't be persuaded and influenced by the vote of the older, the younger were supposed to vote first, and then it was supposed to be the older. But it all took place at one time, and it was against the proceeding in the law. The length of the trial, it was illegal. I mean, in a case like this, a night was supposed to pass between the verdict and the sentence, but this didn't happen in this trial against Jesus. The charge they came up with after the arrest of Jesus, after the arrest instead of at the time of, was blasphemy. Pilate did not go for this charge against Jesus, so they got political about it. Yeah, they got political back then. And they got political in this case. And they put a spin on their charge of blasphemy. And in Luke 23, 2, we could go there and read where it says that uh, they said Jesus was perverting the nation. 
that he was forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, that he was saying that himself, Christ as a king, is what he said of himself. No one has ever suffered injustice the way that Jesus did. He was treated as if he were so bad that he did not deserve a fair trial. And then they crucified him. They put an end, so they thought. They wanted to put an end to Jesus. They didn't want to hear his name again. The things that he said and the things that Jesus did, they wanted those things to stop. They wanted what he was saying and what he was doing to be over. So in their hatred of Jesus... And in their stupidity, we'll say, they believed that they overcame him and that it was finished and they were successful in bringing Jesus to an end. But his crucifixion, as we know, has brought so many to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no other name has ever been exalted like the name of Jesus. I'm so glad I don't get the itch to just try to talk about something in, in, in current everyday life. That there's something different than Jesus we ought to be preaching about. I'm so glad that, that I don't have that itch. And I don't feel that need to do so. And isn't it just overwhelming that we gather and, and it's all about the Lord Jesus and we exalt Him and we, we come and gather together and we sing to Him and we worship Him and He's worthy of being ex- exalted. I, I, guess, I guess these accusers of Jesus were fooled because no other name has ever been exalted like the name of Jesus. Jesus, to say the least, suffered Injustice. Let's consider the suffering, and I don't, I've never used this word before for this, but let's consider the suffering of murder. It says in verse 8 For he was cut off out of the land of the living. We, we don't use that word and we don't hear that word much. I always remember any any youth conference or any church event I've been in and and what I heard there. I can't place this one, but I was at one about eight or nine years ago with the teenagers and, and a young man sang a song. I can picture him. I just can't picture where I was. And the word murder was in the song. And it was speaking of Jesus and Jesus being sacrificed. And, and I, was, I was taken back by the use of that word. I mean, because we clearly know that Jesus gave his life for us. No, no man taketh his life. He lays it down of himself, and he has power to raise it again. However, there has to be responsibility for what took place. I mean, we know he gave, gave his life, but those who crucified him didn't. And they were guilty of killing Jesus. They were guilty of that murder. They wanted him dead. And that's what they aimed to do. And Jesus left the physical realm. They didn't know Jesus was given his life. But they, but they, you could say that they killed Jesus. He died. 
They said, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. His blood be on us and our children. That was their aim. That was their motive. That's what they wanted to do. In the 22nd Psalm, they, these men are called the assembly of the wicked. They are called dogs. As we consider that prophetic gospel psalm in 22, it says of Jesus that he was poured out like water. His, his bones were out of joint. His heart was like wax. His strength was dried up. His tongue cleaveth to his jaws. They pierced his hands and his feet. And here in the text, it says that Jesus was stricken. You understand? He didn't just die. He was beaten to that point of death. He, it's important that we know that he gave his life. But he was beaten to that point. He was wounded before he was crucified. Jesus gave his life for us, but he suffered a murder from these wicked men. They were not satisfied until he was dead. But let's consider not only that he suffered a murder, but his salvation for men. Death is always qualified with life in the Bible whether it be for Jesus, whether it be for the child of God. Everywhere you study in the Bible, death is going to be qualified with life. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Why he was murdered was because of the hatred for who he was and what he stood for. Because of the wicked hearts of men. But why he died, why he gave his life was for his people. Jesus died first for the Jews. He died for all. But here he died for the sins of his people. And it was the Jews themselves who were killing Jesus. His very own that he died for. Jesus died for them who killed him. They were nailing their only hope to the cross at Calvary. He died by his wounds, but he died for the entire world. You know, you think about the greatest love we could ever know. That's the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us at Calvary. That's the power of the gospel. It's the greatest love we could ever know. He made the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. It was the greatest injustice that has ever taken place. And it would behoove you and I to consider the sufferings of our Savior and what he went through for us. The Jews were responsible, though they didn't know what they were doing. Jesus broke the silence, and he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul spoke on the subject this way, and he said, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Yet they did, but yet Jesus triumphs 
and has provided a salvation for mankind. But the wickedness continues. It continues after the cross. It continues after his death and it goes into his burial by, by intention of these wicked men. It goes into his burial. We go from the crucifixion to the burial in verse 9. It says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Just as Jesus gave his life, but others had to have responsibility for taking it, it's the same way with his grave. He made his grave, but the Jews designed the greatest possible dishonor of Jesus in his death and in his burial that they possibly could. They planned for his body to lay among the wicked. He was crucified between two criminals and they wanted his body to lay among the criminals. They wanted to break his legs and take him away. They wanted to dishonor him in death and in burial. I'm going to go ahead and interject and say this. And that is, if, 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 I, if I go on to glory before Shelly does, and, and she says I wanted my body burned up and in a vase with ashes, that, that is not true. That is not true. Just have to say, in a conflicting talk these days with some people, I want my body to be laid in the grave. I want, to, I want my, my faith in, in bodily resurrection to be an example after, after I move on to glory. Believe that's... No, that's what we ought to do as children of God. There's a lot of dishonor in death and burial, though. I found out after all of this happened that, that I had an uncle. And as a very young man, he, he became a criminal. And as a very young man, he went to prison. And he stayed in there all of his life, and he was released from prison as a very old man. And the only reason why he was released was because he had cancer. And he lived about four months after he was released. And he did get a burial of some sort, but he has never had a funeral service yet. I hope at some point in the future, though I did not know him, to change that. There's a lot of dishonor and a lot of disrespect for those who have died, for, for death and burial. In this time of crucifixion, there, there were no burials at all in some cases. But, but those bodies left to be devoured by the birds... Had these Jews had their way with the body of Jesus, it's so very easy to believe the worst of what would have happened with his body. It's very easy to believe they would have denied him a proper burial. 
Instead, instead, he was buried in a rich man's cave. He was buried in a, a brand new hewn out sepulcher in a rock. God intervened with a disciple of Jesus named Joseph. And he took his body and he laid it in, in his tomb that was hewn out. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher. You can read about that in Matthew 27 and 57. The injustice was terrible for Jesus. Yet as we consider this, it could have been worse. It, it could have been even worse in his burial. God intervenes. We heard a message on the providence of God this morning that God's special care goes before us. And if we knew all of the ways that God has been proactive in our lives and the things He has not allowed to happen... I would say if we knew it, we'd praise Him more, but we ought to praise Him by faith, knowing that He does it, knowing the providence of God goes before us, knowing that He is trustworthy to help you and I. Things could always be worse than, than they are. Some people get the, the wrong thought of why did God allow this and, and, and let us not be imbalanced and, and let us consider by faith all that God has not allowed in our lives. Granddaddy knew better than to say things could be worse. So he said, he was a little negative, he got down sometimes. So he said, I guess things could be worse, I just don't see how. But we know that they can't, that they can. We know that God's special care goes before us. And he is proactive in so many things that our lives are prevented from. We should be grateful to Him for the things that we don't even encounter in life that we would. On the flip side, we can't imagine all that would come upon people from the wicked hearts of men if it weren't for God's providence intervening, God interrupting. And our Lord, our Father, changing things. Nothing exceeds the power of God. The wicked wouldn't have given Jesus the burial that he received but God. If you are a child of God here tonight, you ought to have many but God's. Situations in your life you never thought you would survive and live through but God. This was headed in a certain direction and I had no idea how I was going to survive it. I had no idea how things were going to change or if they could. I didn't see a way that things would change but God. Oh, the child of God ought to have many of those in their lives. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for His precious Word as we look toward the end of this verse. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. What a precious prophecy preserved in the word of God 
that will never pass away. Anyone can know that Christ is who he claims to be because of the everlasting word of God. I'm thankful we can stand on it tonight. I'm thankful that we have a more sure word of prophecy. That we have a, a word that is never going to pass away. We have the everlasting word of God. This was written some 700 years before Jesus came and lived a sinless life. And, and brought truth and preached truth and took his perfect life to the cross. And we have this truth recorded. And his truth endureth to all generations. Maybe you're like me. And you think about great, great grandkids that, that you may have, but you may never see. You will go on to glory. And if the Lord doesn't return, they're going to be in this world. And, and maybe you're like me and you, you think about how this world is changing and how things are going to get worse and worse. And you just wonder what things will be like for them. Thank God that before he comes back, we know that his true church is going to be in this world. He's going to have true churches here. That the word of God is going to be here. That his salvation is still going to be mighty. That he is still going to be drawing those to salvation. That God promises to protect his people. No matter what they may face. Thank God for his word. He had done no violence. He didn't do anything to deserve his treatment. And he didn't try to get revenge. He had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. It was never proven to be true that Jesus manipulated the truth, that he was deceitful in any way. It, it wasn't possible. There was none. He had no deceit. The foolishness that you'll hear in this world, the foolishness of those that I've known of who have professed Christ that started doubting who, who Jesus was and, and doubting his, his pureness and doubting His holiness and, and His righteousness and His perfection. Neither was any deceit found in His mouth. We have the Word of God. We can trust every word that our Lord and Savior has said. But in closing, I ask you tonight, as we consider this eternal truth, we consider His everlasting Word, we consider Him and who He is, the greatest injustice there's ever been, all the suffering that He's been through, do you trust in Him? Do you trust that this is the infallible Word of God? Do you trust that this is truth, that you can completely rely on it? Because that's where you find the life-saving gospel. That's where you find the recording of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins according to the Scriptures. Have you trusted His truth tonight?
you know, to consider that there may be someone here and you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're probably not relating yourself to these Jews. You're probably not relating yourself to those who beat and who mocked and who were illegal and unfair in trial to Jesus, who nailed Him to a cross. But it's the same. It's the same as being there and doing that to reject Him because that's why they did that. They rejected Him. They did not receive Him. They did not receive His truth. But they rejected His truth. And, and you're the same as those who beat and crucified Him tonight. If that's you and you've never trusted in Him. You might say, well, I know I've delayed. But the Lord says today is the day of salvation. Now is time to be saved. Delay is so dangerous. And the Lord is not, he is, he is not patting you on the back in your delay saying, I know it's going to take a while. The Lord wants to save you now. He wants to take you out of that group now. He wants to take you out of those who have rejected Him and, and that, that you would become His child. It's, it's no less foolish than those who unjustly arrested Him. Those who illegally tried Him. And those who nailed Him to that cross. It's no different... If you have rejected him tonight, they rejected him. I invite you tonight to please don't reject the one who has suffered for you and I. He pours out his truth to you that he is trustworthy. Look what he has done for us. The greatest injustice that has ever taken place had an ultimate aim of dying for your sins, of offering you eternal life. He responded with not a word. He responded with not a bit of action against it. The greatest injustice, forget any other injustice that you may think of in the world right now because it's less. Could we consider the, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ and the injustice that came against Him so that you and I might be saved? And praise the Lord for those who are children of God who have received Him. But what about you tonight? Do you know that you've trusted in Him? A lot of people have a lot of information but information is not salvation. It's something that is intimate. It is personal and it's between you and your Lord. No one else can save you. No one can push you to be saved. No one can move the child of God to serve Him more. But if the child of God would consider the suffering that He went through, that is a great motivator into giving more of your life to Him. Giving Him all of your life. The Bible says when Christ who is our life shall appear. Here's the problem with many. Some, many want Jesus as part of their life. They have their life and then they have their little, their, their little 
religious piece of the pie. Jesus doesn't accept that. He accepts first place only in that he would be our life. This greatest injustice that took place, it was for you individually tonight. In a number this size, it's, it's very, very possible that there is one here who has been just like his accusers and those who crucified him. You haven't received him. You've rejected him. Please don't reject him any longer. You're invited to trust him tonight. Would you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Or maybe there's a child of God and God wants you to have a church home. Membership in, in his church family. One particular he has in mind. Would you move and obey God as he leads you? It could be the subject of baptism. These little children just saved a vacation Bible school. And here they are, ready and willing and knowing what baptism is and wanting to follow through in, in obedience to our Lord. Whatever it is on your heart tonight, may it, may it be the suffering of Jesus and the injustice that he endured for you and I that would move you and I. Move us to obey him. And oh, if there be one here tonight who would obey the gospel. That's what the Bible says, to obey the gospel. That word means render submissive acceptance. Will you accept Jesus Christ personally? Would you trust him as your Lord and Savior? We're going to bow in prayer. And this is your time and my time to do business with God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. We thank you for this truth that, that I'd like to almost say doesn't need preaching. It preaches itself. But Lord, I thank you for the time we've had to consider the suffering of your precious son and what he endured and the injustice that he went through. Seeing souls saved as a result of the cross. And dear God, if there be one here tonight who has never truly been to the cross personally, them, their own lives, Lord, they would come to the cross tonight. And they would trust you, Lord, that they would know that all their sins are there. That's where they've been defeated. It's not by religion. It's not by any good works. There's no need to doubt the precious Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your truth and how trustworthy you are. We thank you that you're mighty to save and you're not willing that any should perish and I thank you that you don't leave your children alone. Dear God, that you continue to prompt us and to move us that we might serve you greater. Lord, may we love you more tonight. I'm going to thank you in advance for what you've done for us in this service and what you might do and what you might show us in this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.